It's time to travel with Anita. From across town to around the world, she covers it all. Spanning the globe for more than four decades, Anita has been to over 100 countries and territories and is the host of the Lowell Thomas Bronze Award-winning podcast, Quarter Miles Travel. From load transportation fares to travel insurance concerns, safety to savings, Anita gets you there and back with a smile along the way. Now, here's the host of Travel with Anita, Anita Thomas. Hello, 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 and welcome aboard Travel with Anita and Friends. Today's show is all about Vikings. The warriors from the north, the bloodthirsty, fearless, seafaring, relentless in their pursuits, Norsemen that we see in the movies and TV shows. You know, those guys. Is it true that they were really the bad boys of the north, spreading havoc around Europe and traveling as far as Africa, Asia, and even North America? Is all that true? But let's dig into the history and find where the myth ends and the truth begins. Vikings, you know, have captured our imagination and interest through the years with those TV shows and those films created out in Hollywood. The Northmen, Vikings, Valhalla, they all draw us in to see how they live their lives. And they did have very interesting lives. That is, that is true. That, now, that part is true. That's not a myth, according to TV, but also according to the real world. We want to learn a little bit more about them. So who were the Vikings and where did they come from? Their larger-than-life stories in some ways make them seem almost mysterious, which increases, of course, our desire to know more. But with so much focus on creating an image of violence, murderers, uncivilized savages and raiders, to fight those images and perceptions, you need to go to the source and learn a little bit more. And I had a chance to do that. I was recently invited to go on a tour of what I'm calling Sweden's Viking Trail, a chance to walk on the grounds in the areas, visit the cities where the actual Vikings really did walk and, and have their lives. So why Sweden? Because it's the, the location of several cities and areas where a large amount of the information that has been found to give us a true picture of their lives and their way of life, that's where those cities are located. So through some of the archaeological digs and research, much information about the Viking Age has been uncovered. The time in history when Vikings lived and, yes, roamed the seas is called the Viking Age. It's a period of time from the late 8th century to the middle of the 11th century. So first, let's stop for a second and think about that. When we're watching Netflix and seeing them portrayed on TV, if you're like me, you didn't think it was that long ago. I mean, Vikings were around over a thousand years ago. That's the Viking Age. And their homeland was made up of an area that Scandinavia today is Denmark, Norway, and Sweden, which is where I visited. And although these areas were home for them, they did travel to other places as far as Russia, Scotland, England, Ireland, and North America to Canada. And researchers are also finding evidence of their travels trading in Africa and even Asia. So they definitely were very confident out on the oceans and, and out on the sea. The areas where I visit, Gamla Uppsala, that is the name that during the, the Viking Age. It is located north of Stockholm, and today it's known as Uppsala, where you can find a lot of the history. Another city is Burka, which is considered the Viking city. And there are many sites there where you can go and you can see a lot of the history. It's also the site of the first known Christian congregation that Sweden founded in 829. So today I'm visiting Stockholm and you can take a ferry over to Burka and have an exceptional uh, experience as well. But on today's show, I want to move in and have a little talk 
because my stop in Sweden started with going to the Viking Trail to visit the museum of the University of Uppsala, where our guys who are curators at the museum shared artifacts which have been discovered, many from graves. And these are not the graves that we think of, but they hold the person who has passed their ship, horses, sometimes horses, and then also their personal belongings. Evidence shows that this area was a significant source of trade. They found glass, metalware, pottery, textiles, including Chinese silk, showing that they traveled and traded for goods much further than Europe and even North America. What they would have traded, though, would be goods from the Scandinavian area, such as iron, horns, and fur. So you know those horns? We're going to talk a little bit about the myth. They were not on the helmets, but they did trade them. And in 1993, Burka became one of the UNESCO World Heritage Sites. So they're all about the preservation and the conservation there in Burka. And it's all about preserving the history. Because, you know, it's all about us learning the history so we can understand better how we fit into the whole, whole picture. As you can imagine, it received this honor due to that preservation and conservation of the Viking life. And we can get the full story when we go there. With great evidence of how this area was a powerful connection to creating widespread trading networks, which were instrumental in developing that whole area. And one of my stops in Sweden was that Viking Trail. And visiting the museum at the University of Uppsala, where our guys and curators of the museum shared the artifacts. And much of what they have found highlights the extensive trading. I mean, they were trading all over the place. And here's what they have found that is housed at the University of Uppsala's museum. So, Emma, I see things here that are made of metal that have been carved and uh, looks like fabric or also something that would have been part of a, of a sword. What are these items and where would they have come from? Well, these, these objects are from a series of graves just north of Uppsala here. Um, yes, the whole area was a, a, um, a cemetery from about 300 to 1100 AD, but during the middle period there, from about, John help me here, 500 to 800, yeah. 700, and there were a number of boat graves where the Viking um, leader of the, the um, generation was buried in a boat. With, along with all his possessions, including some of these objects, these fantastic <laughs> objects would, would have shown their trade, trade links during the time. Um, and so the, the, we focus very much on those 15 boat graves and what they told about the early Viking period at that time. What does this look like to you? Exactly. That's precisely what it is. This is from a game. This is from a game. This is from the same, relatively the same period. And these are the game pieces. These have actually been studied. So we know, we know that these are the game pieces and they're all bones. More specifically, they're made from a whale bone. What always amazed me is you'd go after this whale, this immensely large, strong cow in a bit of a canoe with a spear. So these individuals were Oh, wow. This is silk and silver. They would have been worn around clothes. And this is a technique, a very special technique. Uh, in Swedish, it's called brikvävd, brikvävdband. Uh, I'm not sure how that translates, but... Ta tablet, tablet weaving. Tablet weaving, Ta okay. Tablet. There you go, first time I've heard it. Brilliant, okay. <laughs> my archaeological training has been in Swedish. It's a band. So, I'm afraid my English leaves a little as, as regards archaeology sometimes. 
<laughs> the process I understand though, you have cards, circular cards, or maybe in different shapes, and you have holes on the extreme ends of them, and then you push, you put the strings through it. Then you rotate, as you weave, you rotate the cards, which arranges the uh, strings in a different pattern, slightly different patterns. I've seen my wife do it. It is incredibly complicated. And the fact that they would have done this in, in, in with silver thread and silk. Where would they have gotten silk? There are yeah. two different places. It's either uh, Chinese or it's from Damascus, right? Because I think yeah. sometime in the Middle Ages, the Byzantinians sent monks over to... But there's a difference in the weave. From what I'm to understand, there's a difference in the quality of weave. You can't, they couldn't duplicate the quality of weave that they could get in China. Yeah. I have heard that this comes from both places, so I'm not qualified to say. <laughs> However, there is a good chance that this is very far from home. We know they had extensive trade routes. Yeah. Wow, isn't that fascinating and very enlightening as well. But I'll stop here. But when I come back, I will continue sharing the gravesite findings. It's amazing how after all of these years, the graves still share the secrets of Viking age life. It's pretty amazing, and as I say all of the time, when we look at history, it tells us a bit about the past, but it certainly connects to our lives today. So stay where you are, and I'll be back in a few minutes here on Travel with Anita and Friends. Back in a minute. well-known time in Scandinavian history is the Viking Age. The Viking Age has influenced not only Northern Europe, but all over the world. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. The Viking Age is a period of time that all historians will agree was a significant time in Scandinavia. The area today where you will find the countries Denmark, Norway, and Sweden. On a recent trip to Sweden, I was invited by Sweden's tourism board to explore for myself those same cities, towns, and waterways, and the grounds where the Vikings actually lived and called home. Two cities I visited was Uppsala and Birka. They're both historical sites which tell us a lot about their lives and shares info about the ways of trading and the things that they travel to trade. And the findings of this information, a lot of it came from the graves. Warriors were honored with a boat burial where beside their boat, would be a set of weapons, household items, animals like horses, dogs, falcons, and hawks that were used for hunting and other livestock would all be buried with the warriors. Really a list of items showing us really what their lives are all about. And these items found in the graves indicated also the status and the wealth of the deceased person. And although this was the burial practice throughout the Viking Age, boat burials were really pretty rare. And although rare, their importance cannot be overshadowed. I talked with the curators with the University of Uppsala's museum about the boat burials and how the information that we can receive from them gives us really a tremendous amount of information in understanding and sorting through what are the myths and also finding the truths. I talked with John, who starts by telling us that the helmets 
they really did not have horns. And the swords, yeah, they used those. But they also used other things, too. And he tells us all about these details of the Viking Age. The helmets yes, you're going to see very yes. soon. And uh, one of, the, well, the stone in Valsera 5, the, gauntlet, the, yeah. the handle, that comes from India. So those stones, those garnets come from India. I mean, if you've been studied, you know, we know that these come from India. So, I mean, it's not. And this is, again, the 6th century A.D. Well, 600 A.D., 650. So this is not uh, this, these, these people that, that the Vikings traveled. Everybody knows. Everybody knows this. However, and he, this, this is from 950. This is the Viking Age. However, earlier, they had the same networks. So... Now, with someone wearing the silk and, and silver, would they have been royalty or who would Certainly have... high status. Yeah, high status, exactly yeah. It, 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 careful, one has to be careful when you deal with words like royalty, mm -hmm. because in, in speaking in archaeological terms, you have to be careful with the words you use, because mm -hmm. royalty implies Queen Elizabeth and all the royal things that we know, mm -hmm. whereas back then, it wasn't a question of titles, but people that they would... And power. You know, power. Exactly. Structures. People's power, power structures, mm. a different, different way of, they would, follow, they would follow my boss, for example, because I would follow my boss because my boss gave a good loot, he always he rewarded his warriors, this sort of thing, because mm -hmm. of his reputation, that sort of thing. It's more, of a, more akin to hero worship than the fact that he owned 40, 50, 60 acres or whatever. He earned the power. He earned the right to be. He earned the right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's why I just warn against the. Uh, oh no, that's you know, good. But good but to say that he was at high level of society is is an obvious one. This yeah. one we can say. All of these people, you don't get glass like this mm -hmm. um, just from anywhere. You don't expose someone taking pictures, and he took pictures of all the all the testosterone stuff, all the helmets mm -hmm. and the shield or shields mm -hmm. and the swords and all of this. And he asked me, "Did you? Is there anything we missed?" And I said, "Well, yeah, there was. That was on display." And I says, "Yeah, because if you one of these in your grave." You can have all the bling you want, and it doesn't equal out. Because mm. this, these are, this is the the glass here is thinner than it's thinner than an eggshell. Yeah, it is astounding. And these were excavated in the 1920s, and again a little later oh, in wow. the 1940s, and then they were never really fully published. So that's something that the researchers today are trying to look into and try and get everything published finally. Mm and show the rest of the world what we have here in Uppsala. Mm -hmm. So it's good you're here. John, what were some of the things that were found when the graves were excavated? When the graves were dug up, they were all put, they were all uh, basically shields. Uh, the helmet is under here, <laughs> that the drinking horns here. Uh, there's what, three horses, a cow, a pig, uh, a snowy owl, uh, <laughs> that is to say a Eurasian eagle owl, pike, uh, dog leashes but no dogs, there usually, oh. usually is dogs. So basically all of Old MacDonald's farm oh. is in here, <laughs> and that, that's, I, that's what separates the Vendel period graves uh, from the Viking Age graves is the amount of animals, because the Viking Age grave will have a dog, a horse, and uh, the person, and that's it, and then a, a stop. But we see in the movies where these are put in the water and set on fire. Nope, that's oh. a movie. No, not uh, in the water. And, uh, and even, even it, it, and that is the thought behind a cremation burial, <laughs> is that, you know, instead of being buried in the ground and getting eaten by worms, and so you uh, light them on fire and in moments they're up with the gods. That's yeah. the idea. Uh, but these were, I'm afraid, uh, put in the ground as luck would have it, put in the ground as they were. Yeah. And, and buried. Because if they weren't, we'd never <laughs> 
but everything is very deliberately placed yeah. around yeah. the Yeah, wow. Um, and the, the horses were articulated, they, they were living horses, but then obviously were sacrificed in place. But there are other um, bones that would have been um, provisions for the, the journey to Valhalla. Mm. So food items together with cooking pots, etc. Actually, in the drawing, you can see a few things here. This one has the harness still on him, mm. so does this one. And some of them, if you look at their feet, sometimes you can see you know, these little spikes on the horse's feet. We still use them today. Uh, they would go on the ho ho hooves. You kind of hammer them into the hooves. Oh, okay. Why they're always there, we don't know. It would be ridiculous, we think, to think that the burials were only happened in the winter because that's why we use these spikes. Mm. Was was to the winter, mm. so only form of horseshoe to protect mm. animals, I guess. Sure, and they're useful in mud, is from what I understand, yeah. from horse people, me not being one. <laughs> <laughs> they're useful in 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 uh, the mud as well. I don't know. Mm. Having said that, Ragnarok was a thing, and I mean, if you're going to get into the metaphysical, they were supposed to go to Valhalla. They what was the average size of the boats? This one was ten meters, roughly, roughly. Yeah, that's about 32 feet. Feet is on, as you've seen, it's not that big. So, and plus, if this was going down a Russian river, you'd have to pick it up at certain points and move it from one river to another. That's much easier to do if it's 10 meters than if it's 30. Yeah. So. History tells us so much about who we are today. Conservation and preservation are more than catchphrases, but an important part of how we should not only live our lives at home, but support preservation in the destinations and places that we like to visit. Because these findings are from over a thousand years old. Just imagine that. That's a long time. And just think of how much we would miss without knowing what lies below the surface if we didn't preserve that history. We think of the Vikings as only being warriors and sea barons traveling to acquire more and more, but they were also more into their basic economy of their societies in farming, fishing, and hunting. And this lifestyle is really vaguely mentioned and seen in the pictures that scroll by on TV, showing us how the Vikings lived. They were definitely more farmers. Now, I'm sure that I have gotten you very interested in finding more information and maybe even starting to plan a trip over to Sweden yourself to check out the Vikings in real life and really put all these myths to the test to see you know, where those myths end and where the truth begins. So for more information about the University of Uppsala and their museum, visit their website at www.uu.se. And for more information about Uppsala, because it's a lot of fun just going around the city, great restaurants, really great hotels, some good shopping there too, visit their website at destinationuppsala.se. And Uppsala is spelled U-P-P-S-A-L-A. And of course, if you're going over there, you're going to go through Stockholm, so you'll want to spend a little bit of time there as well. So visit their website at visitstockholm.com and plan a little extra time there in Stockholm. You can check it all out. Now, I'll share more when we come back because this is the end. So I'll be back in a few minutes. You're on Trouble with Anita. Stay put.
Vikings is what action-packed and thrilling TV is all about. Exploring Viking history in real life is another chance, though, for you to have your own version of what's myth and what's real. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. And there's a lot to learn about the real Vikings, more than what's easily available. And I was overjoyed when I received an invitation to visit Sweden and go on what I'm calling the Viking Trail, exploring those areas where Vikings lived, worked, and actually where they really walked, the same grounds. I was walking on it. I've always been fascinated by the stories, like I'm sure most of you are, the stories of Vikings. And I must admit, I too believe the image of the warriors and the strong and confident people that were going all over the place. And I also had a dear friend who is Swedish, and I've always admired her. She was tough, and I thought that, you know, she could conquer anything. And most times she did. Nothing stopped her. And I always told her that it was her Viking blood that made her that way. So I was even pushing my impressions off on my friend. Now, during my visit, I wanted to move past those myths and find the real stories. So on a visit to Uppsala, I spent time at the Viking Museum, where I talked with a curator who starts with an explanation of what Vindel period is and what Viking age is. There is a difference. The time period between 550 and well, 800-ish is the Vendel era and then the Viking age begins and that goes all the way up to the medieval time which is around 1050 in Sweden. But right now we are kind of trying to remodel the whole thing so maybe the times will be different later on. My best guess is that the Viking Age actually will begin in the year 750 and the year 1100. But that's for the university to work at. What are some of these buildings? Would they have been monuments of some type? Build a huge um, hall, a big sort of wooden palace, I guess you could say, for the ruler. Or I guess he had it built himself probably. Uh, but it's a way of really showing your power in the landscape. And that happens Within just a few generations, we have all of this activity going on, building these huge monuments. Uh, because this was a site that was known for, was best known for uh, sacrifices, that they would hold big uh, ceremonies in honor of the gods. So this was sort of like a religious center, I guess you could say. Um, but also somewhere where they held uh, big assemblies, known as ting. Uh, so they would gather and come to important decisions together, uh, it was also sort of like a court, so you could settle different disputes. Uh, divorces were also a thing that happened at the team. Uh, so it's sort of really a, it's not really a city because we didn't have cities in Scandinavia during this time, but it's a huge settlement uh, with all of these different sort of political and religious functions, as you can see. Anyway, so this is what I mentioned just now. This is the Royal Hall. This uh, was found um, on the back side of, or behind what, uh, where the church stands today. The king could gather uh, important people, people who could be useful to him. Uh, they would be invited and they would be given lots of food and drink and lots of nice gifts, uh, maybe even <coughs> silver or gold. But in return, they were also expected to participate in drinking ceremonies where they would swear their oath of loyalty to the king. So it's a way of networking, it's a way of um, connecting important people or useful people to you. And the queen or the lady of the house, she also plays a part in it because she has a very important role in this drinking ceremony. She is the one who goes around with the drinking horn, as you can see, 
and uh, invites all the guests to drink uh, in a very specific order uh, according to their hierarchy. How many families would have lived in this area? At least 40 or 50 farms mm -hmm. and of course we have to imagine quite large families. Uh, uh, elderly people would still be of course living with their families. We have also slaves during this period so I think you have to I'm speculating a little bit, but I think you have to imagine like at least like 10 or 15 people per farm. Uh, so uh, it doesn't sound a lot, but we have to remember that Scandinavia at this time was very sparsely populated. So a lot of villages were just a few farms and they could be scattered over a larger area as well. But here we have uh, farms very close to each other and we can also see they were specialized. So for instance, there's one farm where they more or less only made tar. This some farm where they have a lot of iron work, so it's very like divided and specialized. So it seems that whoever ruled this uh, site, this place, had an enormous control over the people who lived here. Uh, to the point where he could decide where they were going to live and what crops were going to be done where. This I say on purpose, I mean also by the people who uh, built it probably, because it seems very, very uh, well planned and uh, um, no one was surprised by the fire, uh, because of course if you are, you would just take whatever you can, you run. But in this case, we can see that it's been very, very uh, meticulously cleaned and uh, everything has been taken out before the fire. And then, on top of the burnt uh, remains of the building, uh, archaeologists found unburnt iron spirals. And they're most likely decorations from the doors. Unfortunately, we can't really see that part of the door, but maybe Amanda can show you upstairs. On the outside of the doors, there are iron spirals that are decorations. Um, but these were unburned, so they were taken off of the doors before the fire and then placed on top. So it's almost like, like a burial for the house itself. Do you have any information on why they would choose to burn it? Well, maybe they wanted to build a new hall somewhere else. Maybe it was. Uh, getting worse in quality, members decaying, and they didn't want it to just, you know, fall apart. Um, we do believe that they built a Viking Age hall somewhere else, possibly where the church stands today. Um, so, uh, of course, this old one was had to be taken care of first. But, of course, why they would move the site of the hall, we don't know. Uh, so we can see during the Viking Age, of course, the period that comes after this, we can see there's a lot of activity, new farms are built, uh, we can see a lot of traces of uh, uh, different types of sacrifices, so that activity seems to increase during the Viking Age. But this type of building monuments uh, is not something that we see so much here during, during the Viking Age. Uh, it's possible they didn't really feel the need to do that. The burial grounds that are located here, if these large mounds were for the people with status, where were the other people buried? In the big mounds, we believe that it is just people from the absolute elite. But um, there are many, many smaller mounds further. So a lot of people were buried in similar style, just not at that scale. At that scale, okay. Uh, yeah. So someone who is very poor might only get a few uh, small grave goods, and they would be cremated, and then there might just be um, like just a very small mound or just maybe a few uh, stones to mark a uh, burial. So it's very different uh, how much resources people put into the graves. So the, uh, the grave goods in the large, uh, the largest mounts are 
of course badly burnt as everything else is from these burials, but we can see that they are uh, grave goods that would belong to the absolute elite of the society. So we have gold objects, for instance, we have um, a lot of imported goods from different parts of the world. Uh, we can see, for instance, there are cuneos, which are the type of decorations uh, that were made in uh, present-day Turkey. Uh, there are board game pieces made of ivory that might be from an East African elephant. So there's lots of um, lots of imported uh, goods from different parts, so not just Europe, but other uh, areas as well. And it does show us that even during this time, before the Viking Age, uh, this area is part of a very large uh, trade network. Now there's more to come. Viking life during the Vindia period and leading into the Viking Age. Very fascinating to really see how the two really connected and how things progressed along. So when we come back, I'm going to continue talking with the curator there at the Viking Museum where she shares more information. So stay where you are because I'll be right back to share more about the myths and the truth so we can all figure it out together. You'll want to hear that here on Travel with Anita and Friends. When you're traveling, you always need a travel buddy and Allianz Travel Insurance is my travel buddy. Insurance is really important to make sure that you are protecting your travel investment. Travel insurance covers you for several things like trip cancellation or delays. All of those things that hmm, make traveling a little more stressful, well, get it over to your travel buddy at Allianz Travel Insurance. So check out their website at AllianzTravel.com and go ahead and make sure that you are covered too. You have a travel buddy with Allianz Travel Insurance. Travel insurance covers you for several things like trip cancellation or delays. All of those things that hmm, make traveling a little more stressful, well, get it over to your travel buddy at Allianz Travel Insurance. History informs us of the past that we know, but it also tells us how life was 400 years ago that shapes us today. Welcome back to Travel with Anita and Friends. Now the Vikings, how much do you know about them, about their day-to-day -day lives? And I'm not talking about those images that we see on TV, but the day-to-day -day lives that they led, just like we do. They had their lives outside of being warriors. And during my visit to the Viking Museum, our curator shared what life was like over a thousand years ago. During this time period, we often think about or hear about families living closely with their animals, like the animals were living inside the homes. Do you have any evidence of that? In the winter, they would often uh, bring the cattle inside, because of course we have very cold winters, so um, the cattle will also help heat up the house. You have to imagine, of course, it's a long winter, it's really cold, you can't really bathe that much, and then you have you know, like the animals in the same boat. You probably didn't smell very well. Uh, but we do know that they were actually, the people were, uh, seemed to have been quite keen to uh, look nice and look clean and things like that. Because uh, uh, you know, a lot of comparisons with Christian Europeans at the same time, or into the Viking Age, uh, they're actually talking about the Norse as being uh, very cleanly, having another cleanliness and like washing often. And um, we also find in most Viking Age burials that there is at least one coal. Um, and we have other uh, tools and things just for keeping, uh, uh, keeping yourself looking nice. Like for instance, we have toothpicks and we have ear spoons and things like that from this period. What about
about marriage and engagement or matrimony? How how was that handled? Yeah, I mean, we don't have. They didn't have like uh, you know a written uh, you know like marriage license or yeah. anything like that. Uh, but they did have uh, marriages, and uh, I mean, at least with the richer people, the family was quite involved, of course, in who would marry who, and uh, daughters were, of course, within the. Uh, the higher classes, the power people, they would be used, you know, as a way to, uh, you know, network and mm -hmm. uh, and things like that. Uh, as I said, there were also divorces. Yeah. Uh, so the, the oh, divorce yeah, was uh, right. an acceptable part of this uh, society. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, with a lot of like ceremonies, we don't always know exactly how they did it because uh, they were very bad at writing things down. <laughs> so whenever we have any. Uh, descriptions, they're either written down a lot later or they're written down by people who don't have first-hand experience of the mm. thing that they're talking about. So, For instance, with um, sacrifices, uh, there's one very well-known account by a German called Adam van Bremen, uh, who lived during the late 11th century, and he wrote specifically about this site. Uh, never having visited, he had talked to the Danish king um, and he said that in Uppsala, every nine years, uh, they would sacrifice nine of every living being of the male gender. So nine bulls, nine stallions, nine men, for instance. And they would do so by hanging them in trees in the sacrificial grove and just letting them rot and fall down and they would then give nourishment to these sacred trees. But we don't actually believe that that's a very truthful account of what happened. Uh, there are sort of grains of truth in it, but it's probably quite exaggerated. Um, when we find examples where someone seems to have been ritually murdered, so we have actually examples archaeologically of uh, <coughs> human sacrifice. They're quite few, so it's probably quite uncommon, and we don't find them you know, just like laying around trees. We find them in bogs, in lakes, in wetlands, places like that. So it doesn't really add up with what he's uh, saying in this account. On the other hand, sacrificial trees were most likely um, something that did uh, exist and occur. We have archaeological evidence of that as well. Uh, further north um, in Sweden, there is one really incredible sacrificial tree that was found underneath the church uh, on an island in one of the big lakes and uh, it was a big huge trunk of a uh, stub of a birch tree and around it uh, archaeologists found an incredible amount of animal skulls uh, so for instance there was a large number of bear skulls um, there were both domestic and wild animals and it's generally just a skull so it seems that people did sac sacrifice that way, but maybe not like human sacrifices. So as I said, there are like parts that seem to be true, but it's also uh, like a pretty exaggerated version of, um, of what actually happened. Some, some animals would be sacrificed and others were hunted for food? Yeah, food and exactly. So um, we believe that maybe the most common sacrificial animal was probably horses. That seems to have been like they had a special um, it's especially common that they would sacrifice horses. Uh, and of course, we also believe that some sacrifices might not be just, you know, wasting meat, basically. Yeah. Uh, it's also seen that they would uh, hold feasts 
in honor of gods, where they would slaughter uh, X amount of like horses or whatever animals, and uh, they would eat the meat and they would you know drink and have a good time, but it would be in honor of the gods. So it's considered a sacrifice, but it's not just like wasting food, uh, which a lot of time it could could seem like. Yeah, so for instance, when we talked about in the post holes that they found a lot of animal bones uh, that seems to have been from when they started building it, that might very well have been from some sort of sacrificial feast to you know uh, bring good fortune to uh, this monument that they were building. As again, speculating a little bit, but possibly. Do you have any record of how much was done, like as a community versus like individual families or bones? Uh, we don't have uh, that many sources to that, um, but it seems to have been that the family as a unit was very important. The family and like, I'm talking like larger family, like relatives, uh, so um, they would probably uh, have like, like most things were probably based around the family, but then I mean they would probably help each other out with things. I mean. Uh, this, I think before we had our modern society, I don't think we have a choice. I think people would have to, to help each other out. But the family seems to have been a very important unit. Uh, people seem to have had a very good idea of who was uh, related to who. Um, it seems also that they had a very good idea of where people, who was buried where, basically. Mm. So now, if you've been with me during the whole show, you're probably ready to hear and answer some of the myths, truths, and a few of those little-known facts about Vikings. So let's talk a little bit about that. So come along with me. We're going to talk about these myths and truths. Now, the first one I want to start with, though, is the one that shocked me. And for some of you out there, it might shock you, but I'm thinking some of you may already know this as well. We'll see. The first myth, helmets with horns, that is not true. It goes back to costuming in a 19th century opera. The costume designer decided that he would put a couple of horns on the helmets to make it seem, I guess, more dramatic and make them seem a little more ferocious. But in reality, if you stop and think about it, horn helmets would not have been very practical during combat. Well, I guess maybe for the, the Vikings, they would have found a way. So those uh, Halloween costumes or cartoons that you've seen or shows that you've seen with those horns, not true. <laughs> and the next myth, traces of Vikings emerging can be traced as early as the 5th century. So we think about the Vikings being a little bit earlier than that, a little bit uh, closer to our time now. But when you stop and think about it, that was a long time ago, the 5th century. So not only were the Vikings what we see portrayed, but that's a myth. They did some other things too. They were not just roughnecks and raiders and murderers and that kind of thing. We found objects around the burial grounds that shows that they had a high level of sophistication. So got to change your view of those Vikings. And Vikings also were very well skilled. They farmed the land, they mastered the maritime life of the coastal waters and the oceans and the seas and the inland waterways. So the navigational skills, they were experts in that. And also experts at boat building as well. And you see them fighting with the wooden shields? That is true, that is what they used, but not always with swords. Sometimes they used poles and occasionally they also use an axe. And it's been discovered that there are some women who were also warriors. And Vikings being big and tall people, no, uh-uh. The men were anywhere between 5 feet 7 and 5'9". It is thought from uh, some of the things that they have discovered that they were probably more like, um, you know, those athletes that we have today that are distance runners or 
people like that. So there is some truth in the images that you see, but there's also some non-truths there. So if you want to learn more, check out the website, visit Stockholm.com to find all the websites there. Check out the website, Uppsala, M-U-S-E-E-T dot S-E. And if you're like me and you didn't get enough, join me in two weeks for part two of my trip to Sweden on the Viking Trail, where I talk about women's role during that time, farmers, and you know, I can't leave out the food. So join me in two weeks when I do part two of Vikings. Thanks for joining me today on Travel with Anita and Friends. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Travel with Anita. For more, log on to her website, travelwithanita with two ends.com. And listen to her award-winning podcast, Quarter Miles Travel, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Anita will be back in two weeks with another exciting adventure for you and your travel buddies. So keep those passports updated. And remember to always travel safe and travel smart. Right, Jack? Uh, uh, uh.